0: All right, all right, all right, welcome back. If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you are leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone or you don't feel like you should weigh that, put that weight on your inner circle. Call the hotline at nine eighty and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at d underscore misfit nation. It's d underscore misfit nation. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, our great guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a parent, grandparent, author, historian, and retired educator with 40 years of experience working with children, both in the general and special needs population, serving as a teacher, principal, and school administrator. Now retired, she wrote a series of history nonfiction books for children with the mission to entertain, inspire, and empower them to become tomorrow's leaders. Many of her books invite children and their parents to learn more about the contributions of veterans. So without further ado, let's welcome Barbara Mojica to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Barbara. How are you?
1: I'm doing great today. Thanks so much, Rich. I'm honored to be on your podcast.
0: It's awesome to link up with uh, with you. Like I told you in the pre-show, I had a teacher by the name of Mohika Mojica when I I was in elementary school and high school, so I want to see the name, like so I got to jump on this. And then you being a history teacher like my wife, I said, if I didn't bring you on, I wouldn't be able to eat dinner some night. So uh, or, well,
1: here. we know how that goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so welcome. If, if you want to share some more of your background from as far back as you want to go to how we got to where we are now, that'd be awesome.
1: Okay, well, I had a very common uh, background. Uh, I was born actually in Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up uh, right on the border between Brooklyn and Queens. I was born into a lower class working family, and I didn't really have much opportunity to think about getting beyond that set of circumstances. My parents uh, neither of them had finished high school. They were children of the depression and they did support me in all I wanted to do as far as education goes, but they didn't have the financial resources. So I was determined. I just loved school from day one. I love to read. I love to find out about people who had gone to all kinds of interesting places and had all kinds of different experiences. I wanted to travel. So I was determined. And I was very lucky in having a, a teacher in high school who really pushed me to to get beyond what I thought were my limitations. So she told me I really had to go to college. Uh, and I started thinking about that. So I started taking the academic courses that I needed, Um, my the plan was for me to become an office worker, a secretary. Uh, So she quickly uh, changed my mindset. And because of that, uh, she was a fantastic history teacher, Uh, the love of the way she enthused and inspired me to see myself as a character in history myself so i started uh going to college i was very lucky that at the time the the public education system in new york city was available on a merit basis so because i studied really really hard i got great grades i was able to get into the school of my choice and i was able to finish college as a history major And even to get a scholarship for graduate school because I worked very hard in college and one of my professors recommended me for a scholarship so I was even able to get to graduate school. So I had achieved, you know, things that uh, I never thought possible that, that would be way, way beyond my limits and I've always had that determination so I have tried to instill that in all of my students i was drawn to education because i loved history i loved research but i couldn't see myself as one of these people in the ivory towers you know and just spending all of my time in the world of academia i wanted to be involved with people so i wound up teaching and For 40 years, I taught in all kinds of settings. I started out with children in the general population. And then I realized that the educational system wasn't meeting the needs of so many children and i saw that they learned in so many different ways and i I became interested in special education so back to school again uh i went and took an an, another degree and another certification in special education and i taught children with uh very very extreme special needs so i was working with autistic children crack cocaine babies uh physically impaired children, uh, Down syndrome, you know, the whole, the whole range of issues. And I really became uh, involved in the whole process of special education, not just the teaching. And I became a principal of a special ed school, and then eventually a school district administration uh, official in New York City. So my career just kind of kept evolving, but it it was always based on a desire to push myself to the limits and to allow children to pursue the very best that they could achieve, even if they had limitations that appeared to be holding them back.
0: That's very important. uh, years ago when you started that, it wasn't so much of a, I guess, emphasis on the special needs children that were right alongside the general ed kids. Uh, Right now in the classes here, they're they're mixed together and it kind of it's a challenge for the general ed teachers who aren't trained in the special needs uh, area, the special ed area to do both at the same time. Uh, So I, I know it was a challenge for you making that switch, but you had the passion to do it and jump right in there and do it.
1: And at the time, there uh, were, well, the special needs programs were just uh, really gaining strength. And uh, parents were slowly becoming aware of what was available for them. Uh, that was a, a big part of my mission, you know, helping parents to get the maximum uh benefit from whatever they could possibly get to help their children because so many parents weren't aware of what they could do. And, and that's why I got so involved with the early childhood special ed, because if we get children into the programs when they are young, often they don't need those uh, programs as they get older and they can transition into a normal setting. But the problem today is, is as you mentioned correctly, that we are now looking to save money and we under the uh umbrella of being inclusive and diverse we are mixing children who really do have special needs that cannot be met in the general education setting and the teachers certainly most of them are not prepared to handle that uh i know i myself i've worked in the uh special education isolation type of setting where it was a very, very small group, 10 or 12 children uh, with a special ed teacher and all kinds of resources like speech and occupational therapy and physical therapy. But I've also worked in the quote team teacher setting. uh, And in those classes, very often the needs of kids are not uh being met and i know i had to work really hard to get some children who were in that kind of setting out of it because uh their needs totally weren't being met but it's an uphill uh battle and uh most districts uh again they say well we'll we'll put them in a collaborative team teaching setting both sides will benefit And in most cases, um, they don't work out nearly as well as as they should. And special ed teachers today are so overwhelmed with uh, the paperwork and uh, just the whole process of documenting every little thing that they do. Uh, It's true that you have to meet the needs of the child on the IEP, but the, the, uh, the paperwork for special ed and for regular ed teachers is so overwhelming now because everything is teach to the test, document what you're doing. And in doing that, our uh, educational status uh, has actually fallen. In the last 20 years, uh, the United States has fallen from a position at the very top of the latter in worldwide standings to uh, below number 20. Uh, And uh, we're certainly not doing uh, our best Uh, and uh, the teachers are overwhelmed. The paperwork is overwhelming. uh, The uh, amount of stress and anxiety that is placed on not only the teachers, but the students to perform uh it is uh just uh something that it, something that just is falling apart at the seams in, in in uh my opinion i i don't really approve of the common core because again you're not meeting the needs of individuals you're trying to come up with some standard that's going to fit all one size doesn't fit all and we have children with uh, language difficulties and uh you know they they certainly can't meet these standards they they don't even understand the testing they don't understand the cultural background they don't understand how to relate to um their own families, their own teachers they're just they're just kind of lost in, in, you know in in the whole setting. I've worked with parents uh, children who had to bring in a brother or sister to translate because nobody in the family could talk to the teacher. Uh, you know the the grandparent came from China. The grandparent is watching the children because the parents are working ten hours a day. So uh these these are all issues that you know can't be addressed by saying well we're going to come up with this wonderful program and we're going to bring every child up to standards and we're, we're failing at it and uh it it it's just in such a problem because the teachers are suffering the parents are suffering the children are suffering and one size doesn't fit all, so I firmly believe that uh, parents are the first teachers, and I think that parents should uh, be given more control in deciding the type of education they want from for their children. And COVID, of course, has brought that to the forefront because parents are now much more aware of. Uh, What's being taught in the schools and how it's being taught in the schools, having now seen the virtual online uh, teaching. So now we have parents who are a lot more willing to get involved because they have uh, now only become aware of what the situation truly is.
0: Yeah, I think the two years during uh, the COVID, uh, I guess a lot, of, especially in where you are in the Northeast, a lot of things were shut down for. For completely for two years down here we were kind of hybrid half in the classroom half on the on the computer so you'd have half the kids in the classroom while the other half were home and the teachers trying to teach to both at the same time hey,
1: well in right the- now yeah I- i'm hard. sorry to interrupt yeah. you but right now i am not in the city i've now since i've retired i've moved upstate Okay. <laughs> uh my own school district was was in that kind of hybrid situation that that you mentioned but it in the city uh in most major cities um across the country uh it's exactly as you described it it they were just shut down and the emotional toll that that took on children is, is another uh really sad aspect because so many children uh, now are going to be even further behind than 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 they were before.
0: Definitely, And that goes to your, your statement earlier about where the U.S. ranks on the on the top of uh, education. And now we're below 20. And I think after they do the next next assessment, we'll probably even lower because those two years, those children lost everything. They lost social interaction. They lost actual teacher interaction. And uh, they kind of lost their way a little bit. Now they're trying to just slowly getting back into it. A lot of them lost their manners, their social uh, behaviors. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of went out the window due to not having contact, not just that they didn't have it before, it's that they just had no contact with humans. And that kind of hurts a lot of people, both uh, young kids and and the teachers and everyone in the world, really.
1: It's just a really, really sad, unfortunate situation, which I hope uh we will bounce back from i'm an eternal optimist so (laughs) if you you see my character in my books my little miss history is uh, always looking on the bright side of things and i think that's important for all of us to remember that keeping a, a a positive mindset is so important for uh for parents as well as teachers it's uh we are surrounded by so much negativity today it's really really difficult to do but we have to do it. And I, I think that um, parents, uh, again, have got to step up and uh, assume the mantle uh, that has been dropped to a large extent uh, by all of the factors that uh, that have gone into changing our lives in, in the past few years. So we have to get back to uh, values. Parents have to get back to teaching the things that the schools are not teaching and um, one of the big things is critical thinking. I, I think the schools are again more concerned with what they're teaching coming up to these arbitrary standards than how to think and our children are not being taught how to think. Uh, and this is one of the most important aspects of uh, history because history teaches us how to be critical thinkers. And uh, critical thinking skills are, are, are really uh, not being emphasized in the schools. And parents have to take up the slack with that. I mean, there are ways to um, encourage critical thinking. Uh, in children, you know, parents can kind of uh, take children uh, and, and be aware of the how to think kind of processes. You know, children are always asking questions, so they have insatiable curiosity. They want to know the who, the what, the when, the why. And parents need to uh, in, encourage them to uh, to observe and to analyze and and to uh, to infer and give their own opinions because if if parents can encourage children to be curious and they can encourage children to find solutions to things you know we have the the helicopter parents who who are always hovering over the children. Then we have the authoritative parents who, I'm the boss, and you do what I say because I'm the adult and you're the child. But there has to be a uh, a kind of um, parenting in which you teach a child the necessary life skills in, in a very responsible and respectful way. Parents have to uh, teach children respect. If they don't learn respect in the home, they're certainly not going to be respectful in the classroom or in the community. They have to teach children to be kind and to have empathy for others and to be honest uh, in what they think to express their opinions, but at the same time, to try to accept that there are multiple perspectives and there's always another way of thinking. And parents need to show children that there are always other options. You know, it's not just my way or the highway, that they have to show children that Sometimes we can negotiate things. And when ch- when a child grows up, he or she is going to have to learn how to uh, delegate responsibility, how to be a good example, how to understand that sometimes... Things have to change. We can't always have things the way we want or the way we're comfortable with. So parents have to help children along with that. Make sure that they learn to uh, have a sense of gratitude for what they have, not always looking for more, more, more. I've got to have more toys. I've got to have the the better bicycle. You know, I uh they can learn, they can teach children that sometimes uh, we should be grateful for the things that we do have, that we take for granted. And uh, they need to show a child unconditional love and acceptance. On the other hand, they have to be able to point out when a child makes a mistake, when there are off floors, when there are uh, problems, the child needs to understand that they're being corrected in a in a loving and respectful way, but that we're doing this so that the child will learn how to function uh, later on as an adult, as as a good citizen in in society. So there are lots of barriers to um, to critical thinking, and uh, we have to try to teach them. To avoid them, like, you know, especially in our world of social media, what do we have today? We don't get all of the information that we need. And children are very, very susceptible to the pressures of social media, particularly teenagers, of course. They want to fit in with their peers. Uh, So we have to let them uh, see that some people uh, don't look at multiple perspectives, that some people only look at things from one point of view view. And if they're being taught in school that there's only one way to handle the problem, it's my way or the highway, uh, then uh, that's very uh, that's going to have a detrimental effect on them as when they grow and become, future adult citizens. They have to learn that there isn't just one perspective. There are multiple perspectives. Sometimes there isn't an answer to a question. Sometimes the answer is that there's no answer. And that's another thing that history teaches us. Uh, History teaches us that uh, there have been mistakes made in the past But hopefully we have learned from that past to create some kind of a framework or a legacy to give us the ability to correct what didn't work, to build on that and to create something that's better in the future. So I like to say that yesterday plus today equals tomorrow, we always have an ability to to grow and change and to use the knowledge of the past to build a better future so if we go into history and we use critical thinking to analyze what happened to observe it to realize that the way things happened in the past are not the way things are happening now because our whole system of communication has changed. How much have things changed in the last ten years? So we can't judge what happened in the past based on the information and the ability of the technology that we have today. That's another you know another big issue. Um, we have to realize that we are constantly growing, we are constantly adapting we are constantly um, ec- expanding our ability to come up with new and better solutions and uh, we all have to work uh, to do to do it better to to encourage the independence to encourage uh, each one of us to grow to change to be the best person we can be to be the best citizen we can be to be the best uh to be the best member of our family to be the best member of our community to be uh of uh, the best member of of our whole uh, world global culture and Leaders are not the only ones who can do that because we all have the ability to lead within ourselves in some way. And each one of us has to do, play a role in our family, in our community. And uh, eventually as, as, as a voter, as a citizen, as a respectful meeting, um, member of the world community,
0: I agree, and uh, everything you said there answered most of my questions I had for you. <laughs> I didn't get to ask, but you you gave the answers. Uh, we didn't get to jump into your your books yet, so let's uh, talk about your children's series a little real quick here, so we can get that and uh, let the audience know about how you came about to write them and uh, how they're doing and where they can find them.
1: Well, I I retired, um, and that didn't really sit well with me. I figured. Uh, I wanted to kind of uh, move upstate. I wanted to get out of the that, the environment that I felt was becoming very uh, oppressive. Uh, and I was very dissatisfied with the way things were going as far as uh, the education uh, system as a whole. So when I retired, I wanted to keep in touch with kids. And I wanted, of course, to go back to my roots with history so i began writing uh a, a articles for a local news magazine his history short articles for the local news magazine but i wanted to do something with kids so my husband suggested uh, developing a character who would narrate my series because I wanted to make it fun exciting interesting for kids and I wanted to be it to be an interactive experience so my husband is an artist and he has some experience also with children's books so he developed this character for me little miss history who's based on a younger version of me and uh she's optimistic she wears rose-colored glasses she she has this kind of camping hiking outfit because she's a great explorer and she wants to visit the world just like I did Uh, as soon as I had the opportunity to go traveling that's what I did and uh, she wears these oversized boots in memory of my father's big feet. So she's like a real composite of me. And Little Miss History takes the children on these adventures. Now, some of them are uh, iconic sites like the Statue of Liberty or Mount Rushmore. Uh, Some of them are national parks like Sequoia National Park. Some, uh, Some of them are international sites like the North Pole. Uh, Some of them are military history books because I, you know, have a great affinity for veterans and the sacrifices that they make. So I have a book on the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum. I have a book on the Battleship Iowa, which is dedicated to those who were killed in the unfortunate accident in 1989 aboard ship. And I, uh, I try to make the books cover multidisciplinary areas. So not only do I talk about history, I talk about science. I talk about nature. I talk about prehistory of my La Brea Tar-Pitts books goes all the way back to prehistory and, and um, the uh, scientists who are right now digging at that site. So I try to make it a diverse experience and I hope that parents and teachers will be encouraged to bring children and to have them physically visit these sites. Because I think once you actually go into a community and physically experience uh, the history, that becomes much more real to you. So that that's the way um I set about to do the series. They're interactive, as I said. I have questions that I ask the children. I talk to them about pollution. I talk to them about Native American rights. We talk about African-American rights. We talk about the presidents and how they lived. I have books on their homes, like Jefferson's Monticello and Mount Vernon. So we go into the kind of areas that children experience themselves. What's a home life? What what is a, a national park like? Uh, what would visiting one of these famous sites, like the Statue of Liberty or Ellis Island, be like? And then I I also involve literature and myths and and nature and science, so we're, it's all put together into a total package. And I want children, again, to be able to explore different areas of interest. And then from there, they can go off and and they can uh, delve into it uh, to a greater degree. So my books, again, are interactive. I ask them questions. I ask for their opinions. Uh, I want them to uh, go back to do more, to talk to their families, to talk to their teachers, to talk to their friends and to... uh, Have them understand that they are actually character in history the day they're born, because we're born into a middle of a story. We're not at the beginning, we're not at the end. We're born smack into the middle of history. In our family, there are those that came before us, there are those that will come after us, in the same in our community and in our world. And it's our responsibility to be the best that we can be in our time here on the earth and in this world.
0: Awesome. And how does someone uh, get in contact with you to either purchase the books or just to ch- chat with you?
1: Well, I have multiple areas uh, uh, of contact. My website is the best way to start, littlemisshistory.com. And on my website, I have links to all of my resources. So I try to provide parents and teachers with as many resources as I can. So I have on my website, I have the books. uh, I have testimonials and explanations of what's in the books. I have reviews. I have a blog on my blog. I review children's books and family (coughs) books. So on the blog, you can go to my blog for book reviews and suggestions. Um, I have tips and tricks on my blog. I have tips for authors, tips for parents, tips for teachers. I have a YouTube channel and uh, I developed that, especially during COVID. So I do little mini lessons for children. I have history videos. I have lessons that parents or teachers can use to supplement learning in the classroom, not only on history, but all areas, science, math, language, whatever. And uh, I have the um, usual social media channels like uh, you know, Twitter and uh, a Facebook page and so on. I have a direct chat on my blog. So if parents are looking to contact me or teachers or authors, they can just hit that button and do a virtual chat or they can email me directly. So that is the best place. Uh, my books are available worldwide, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, and uh, bookshop.org, pretty much an, uh, anywhere that you would buy books.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Barbara. And uh, thanks again for taking some of your time to share your journey with the Misfit Nation tonight.
1: Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget
0: to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are.